0: drugs are bad oh the 80s the time when every time i met an adult the second thing they would say is don't do drugs
1: parents who use drugs have children who use drugs
0: scare them straight and then they won't use drugs
1: nancy reagan's gonna come back from the grave Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X Podcast.
0: A podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer,
1: a midwife, a current day pop culture know nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes
0: to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. On this
1: very special episode of the Untitled Gen X podcast, we'll be talking about the
0: weird, wishful thinking, anti-drug PSAs of the 1980s. From your brain on drugs to I learned it from watching you, we have a lot to say about the oversimplified Just Say No movement. And just to be very clear, as a matter
1: of public health and safety, we strongly believe in the importance of trusted, accessible alcohol and drug education and resources for everyone.
0: We do not condone the use of illegal substances. And lastly, we'd like to remind you party people to enjoy the legal stuffs responsibly. But before we tackle the war on drugs, we reached out to you
1: guys on social media and asked you to tell us you were Gen X without telling us you were Gen X. And did you deliver?
0: We received so many hilarious answers, but wanted to share a few of our favorites for shits and giggles. Rachel wrote, I'm going to drive my
1: VW rabbit to Blockbuster and listen to the Beastie Boys there and back.
0: Candy said, I can't log on to AOL because my mom is on the phone. Michelle said, let
1: me get my Thomas guide and get directions to the bonfire, then drive my manual transmission truck (laughs) while listening to grunge to the party that no one will have pictures of later.
0: (laughs) No evidence.
1: Sierra wrote, you can borrow my car, but make sure to use the club when you park. Um, can we talk about how I used the club for my 78 Honda that I started driving in like 92? <laughs> the car lasted a long time. It did last a long time, Hondas, man. This is not a sponsored post, but it could be. <laughs> Andrew said, Windows 3.1 is how I typed my essays.
0: Nerdworthy said, Can I borrow your Lisa Frank pencil? I don't have any more in my Trapper Keeper. I love the 80s. Rewind said...
1: I can't get this a damn French roll to fold right. That was the hairstyle of choice. All the school dances, guys. Oh, yeah.
0: Carolyn simply said, Luke and Laura, Jenny and Greg, Bow and Hope. Bow and Hope. Mm-hmm.
1: Alex, 35, said, cardigan sweaters and turtlenecks.
0: To which I say, Is this not in fashion anymore? <laughs> it's a look. <laughs> Y'all took us right back to our guest jeans and DJs set Just wouldn't STFU so we could record our favorite songs off the radio. That was the worst. I know.
1: But you know what really takes us back? The dramatic anti-drug messaging of the 1980s.
0: You know, I chose six anti-drug PSAs for us to focus on, and I could have chosen so many more. They were all in the vein of like, scare them straight and then they won't use
1: drugs. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So like the 10 weirdest 1980s drug PSAs, like as I was on YouTube, there were so many of them and they
0: were so weird. They were so weird. But let's start at the beginning. According to history.com, this all started with Nixon as so many things did. (laughs) Nixon, man. In June of 71, Nixon officially declared a war on drugs, and he said that drug abuse was public enemy number one. So what he decided to do was increase federal funding for drug control agencies, and he also proposed mandatory prison sentencing for drug crimes. In 73, he created the DEA, and when Reagan took office in 81, he promised to crack down on illegal drug use and reprioritize the war on drugs. But the whole just say no thing started in 82. Scientific American said, in 1982, First Lady Nancy Reagan uttered those three words in response to a schoolgirl who wanted to know what she should say if someone offered her drugs. Just as a side note as a schoolgirl, were you ever offered drugs? Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying, did this ever happen to you? Like as as a a, young girl, as a young school girl, no. And also as a side note, like I remember in the eighties,
1: there was like all this concern about like people lacing Halloween candy with drugs, Mm -hmm. with LSD. Like don't take, if somebody gives you something that looks like a piece of candy, but it has a stamp on it, like don't take it. It's LSD. To which I'm like, who's just giving their drugs away to kids, like, just for fun? like For funsies? What? Like, this was the most bizarre, like, paranoia. And I, I don't know anyone. I mean, maybe it happened. I don't want to say it didn't happen, but like, I feel like people were much more at risk of like coming across their parents' stash and like accidentally ingesting something than like some random person out in the world being like, Hey kid. In a
0: stranger danger type situation. Here's some candy so I can watch you have an acid trip right now. Like what? I know. (laughs) Whereas, you know, the conversations I'm having with my college son is like, hey, if you go to a party, just beware of edibles. Like someone might give you something and it could have something in it and you don't know. And then I know, of course, we are concerned with our youth and even ourselves with a date rape drug situation. So these are more realistic concerns in my mind. Well, those are things that actually happen to people. (laughs) Right. They don't exist in the imaginary dangerous drug land. Exactly. And so back to this quote, the first lady's suggestion soon became the clarion call for the adolescent drug prevention movement of the 1980s and beyond. And in case
1: you missed it, in another episode that we talked about, I did once write an essay for college called Just Say No to Dare. And we will discuss many of the points that I made
0: in that very paper. Yes. And if you want to go back to that episode, that's the Punky Brewster episode. So check it out. But from Punky to Peewee, let's talk about Peewee Herman's special public service announcement. I feel like if any
1: of the PSAs scared me as an adult going back to watch them, this one absolutely
0: (laughs) did. I was like, I won't do it. I won't do it. I'm so creeped out right now. I'm going to have nightmares. We all know Pee-wee Herman. We know Pee-wee's Playhouse. Pee-wee's Playhouse aired from 1986 to 1991. I'm a big fan of the movies. I don't actually remember ever seeing this PSA as a child. Do you?
1: either. No.
0: Because I would have remembered it. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I don't ever remember seeing it, but wow, going back and watching it was yeah. disturbing. So interestingly, I couldn't find a lot of information on this. Like this video is available everywhere. We'll link to it in the show notes. So we open on a silhouette of a man sitting on a stool in a dark room and there's a camera on him and we hear two spotlights pop on, like pop, pop on either side of the man. And oh my God, it's Pee Wee Herman. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. He is not laughing. He is not cracking a smile. He does not have joy in his eyes. This is serious business.
1: He's like head to toe Pee Wee Herman.
0: Gray suit, red bow tie, and those super rosy cheeks.
1: But it was like the bizarro Pee Wee Herman because he looked that way, but he was dead serious.
0: He's dead serious, Kate, because he holds up a vial of crack cocaine to his face and says, in his Pee Wee Herman voice and character, this is crack, rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff. It's the most addictive kind of cocaine and it can kill you. What's really bad, which made me laugh because like, it's <laughs> already like bad. being
1: the most addictive kind of cocaine that can kill you. Right. But
0: <laughs> what's really bad about that? is that nobody knows how much it takes. So every time you use it, you risk dying. It's not worth it. Then we hear a heartbeat sound. He puts the vial down and he says, look, everybody wants to be cool. Okay, (laughs) this is Pee Wee Herman telling me, everybody wants to be cool. The most uncool guy (laughs) who was telling me, everybody wants to be cool. But doing crack isn't just wrong. It could be dead wrong. And then we hear the heartbeat get faster. And his face dissolves into a close-up of a vial of crack with the words, don't even try it. The thrill can kill. The thrill can kill. This was a tagline. And you know, I was looking at the YouTube comments and someone said, the thrill can kill not a good slogan. You could advertise fun experiences with such a slogan like surfing big waves, skydiving, etc. It makes it sound like crack is awesome, but be careful. You could die. Right. It's super fun and exciting, but it could kill you. Right. So beware. <laughs> it is a weird tagline.
1: There's something about this one that I was just like, oh, this one is really disturbing to me, Um, but not disturbing in a way that makes me think, boy, I should never try that drug. As a young person, I mean, as a full-grown adult, it feels like, am I going to do a lot of crack cocaine? Is that likely to be the drug that I'm going to do? It is for some people, for sure. Lots of people do crack cocaine.
0: In all fairness to the anti-drug movement, crack cocaine came on the scene and it exploded much like heroin did in the nineties. It was a real problem. Yeah. And like, I think also like, you can't really talk about crack cocaine without
1: talking about how it disproportionately impacted black communities. So I don't mean to say like, oh, that wasn't the drug I was going to do because it probably wasn't, but I think that it's something worth mentioning. But I also would argue that a Pee Wee Herman PSA was not the right way to target any group that
0: was more likely to do crack, right? Right. No, I agree. And one of the YouTube comments said, who should we get to talk about crack? The guy from Pee Wee's Playhouse. This conversation must have happened. Let that sink in. Right. Somebody, like multiple people thought this was a good idea. They were sitting around a conference table when this happened. This had to go through varying levels of approval. Yeah, it was
1: a weird time in terms of like, I think that crack is not something that people tend to think about as much because heroin has really come and sort of replaced it. But it is true that in the 80s, crack was a bigger deal. And that it could like kill people very suddenly. I mean, I can remember like hearing stories about people who smoked it for the first time. And, and so similar, I mean, that happens to people with heroin too, like people use heroin for the first time.
0: Absolutely, And we are not in any way discounting the dangers of crack cocaine by talking about this PSA. It's the fact that it's Pee Wee Herman in, you know, full Pee Wee Herman regalia telling us in his most serious face and tone that it's just not worth it. I mean, in the comments, people are saying, you know, it's really messed up if Pee Wee Herman has to tell you to stop it. And then someone else said, when Pee Wee Herman is acting normal, you know, it's some serious shit. (laughs) And someone else said, the guy who talks to his furniture is lecturing us on the dangers of crack. Yeah.
1: Like none of my commentary about just say no or dare or any of these PSAs has anything to do with being like, yeah, everybody go out and do drugs. It has everything to do with the fact that like, if you're going to have messages that are anti-drug, spend your money and your time and your energy creating like effective anti-drug messaging. Don't put Pee Wee Herman in full costume and have them be really serious about something.
0: Yeah. It just, it falls flat. And I don't know that it actually prevented anyone that was going to use crack cocaine from using crack cocaine.
1: Right. If anybody out there was like, man, I was just about to. And then I I remembered Huey Herman
0: (laughs) and the tagline, the thrill can kill. Right. Yes. Let's move on to our beloved. I learned it from watching you. I remember this one. Do you remember it? Oh, I mean, how
1: could you forget? I like, I'm not kidding. Like I still quote this at moments in my
0: life. All the time. Like if somebody was like, where'd you learn that? I'm like, from you. I learned it from watching you. This infamous PSA aired in July of 1987, and it was part of the Partnership for a Drug-Free America. Kate and I have decided that we are going to prepare a dramatic reenactment for your listening pleasure. In case you forgot what it was like. Yeah. Let me set the scene. A young teen is sitting on his bed, rocking out to, you know, dangerous rock music. And his dad in a shirt and tie, because you know dads are always in the shirt and tie. Serious dads are in the shirt and tie, right? And he has a very aggressive mustache. He comes in holding what appears to be an open cigar box full of drugs, and he turns off his son's stereo. This yours? No, your mother said she found this in your closet. I don't know. One of the guys must have must have what? Uh, Look, Dad, it's not mine. Where did you get it? Answer me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? Uh, You, all right. I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. So I remember this commercial really clearly. I tried to look up who the dad was. I couldn't find that information. But the kid was played by Reed McLean. And he went on to tour with The Sound of Music when he got older. Favorite movie and play. He had a small part in 1993's Gettysburg. And he is now a musician. You can find his music on YouTube.
1: Wow. He turned that little PSA into like
0: all kinds of success. Good job, Reed. This obviously has been parodied a lot. It's been parodied on Mad TV, Robot Chicken, Scrubs, The Cleveland Show, and In Our Own Personal Lives. (laughs) We we say it often.
1: Do you feel like this guy, when he plays Two Truths and a Lie, that he's like, I was the PSA kid? (laughs)
0: my large. from watching
1: you, <laughs> and then you have to like believe that that's the truth because who would make up that random fact? Oh, I'm gonna use that next time, man.
0: You <laughs> 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 have to find some weird PSA with a girl in it. <laughs> So let's talk about this because the dad is very aggressive in his approach. I get the sense this is the first time they've ever had a conversation about drugs, like ever. Right. Which,
1: I mean, I don't think is uncommon, right? I think that like in lots of families, people just don't talk about it. Difficult subjects should just be something that comes up repeatedly, like in easy, casual talk so people can talk about it. Yeah. But like what I'm thinking is like, dude, you know that you do drugs, right? Like. Like, even if you think your kid
0: doesn't know, like, you know. You're like, hypocrite much? The YouTube comments were just such a joy and pleasure to read on this one. Someone wrote, oh, the 80s, the time when every time I met an adult, the second thing they would say is, don't do drugs. (laughs)
1: I can't remember going to like assemblies and like all of these things about like, don't do drugs. Dare yeah, and red ribbon week. Oh yeah. Oh, all yeah. of it. Just say no. And like, I don't know if you remember this, but when we were, I don't know, I think we were in middle school and we had a friend, we were at their house and they were really upset and we were like, oh, what's wrong? And they were like, oh, My parents were drug addicts and we were like, oh, because of course we're like, drugs are bad. And we were like, why? And they're like, cause I found this. And we went into the parents room and like, you know, hidden, I don't even know how that came across. It was totally their parents stash of weed. And I mean, probably like, this is what the eighties, right? So like, it's not like the weed that people have today. It's like, it's not as strong and crazy as weed now. And all of us were like, (laughs) no. And like comforting her and like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. Because like, this is the world that we lived in, that like, there was no nuance when it came to drugs in the 80s, right? Oh, it was
0: very black and white. Right. There is right and there is
1: wrong. A terrible drug user, or you were like a good, upstanding citizen. Like, that was the dichotomy.
0: Yes, absolutely. In the Venn diagram of drug use, there was no yeah, there was no overlap. No, there was no like responsible occasional user of marijuana that was not a thing that existed. Nope. There was like bad and good. Which is hilarious because our parents were boomers and they were hippies. They were totally hippies. My parents graduated in 1969. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting
1: because like you have to believe that so many of the people making these PSAs were like around in the 60s and the 70s. And there were a lot of drugs happening in the 60s and the 70s. And, you know, you can take a deep dive into all of the politics of the war on drugs. Oh, it's very deep. And it's fascinating and disturbing. And it's really beyond the scope of what we can cover in this podcast. But I mean, there's whole books and things about how this came to be and, and how it served some people and didn't serve other people and furthered all kinds of things in our country. But I don't know. It's so crazy that like, it just all like funneled down to the 80s.
0: Those three little words, baby. And it wasn't I love you. It was just say no. And on the YouTube comments, someone wrote, Thanks, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> I mean, this was her platform. But someone else said, first time I smoked weed was with my dad. I literally learned it by watching him. <laughs> I think that I knew a lot
1: of people that that was true. Like that was not true in my case. Right. Mine (laughs) Um, either. At all. But I definitely had friends where that was the situation. And, but again, like, and this is where the problem comes with this anti-drug communication is that like, they don't teach about real world circumstances, right? No. They don't teach about. Hey, I'm hanging out with all of my friends, like my friends that I really like, not my friends that I'm like, oh, I want to be cool. So they'll like me. Like, these are people I like already and they already like me. Right. And, you know, they're smoking some weed that they stole from their parents' stash. Right. Hey, (laughs) they had to get it somewhere. Um, You know, and so, and then how do you say no in that situation? You know, that's a way more useful skill than running away from like the bad drug dealer. Because I just don't think that's most people's experience.
0: Like you said in the Punky Brewster episode, like sometimes the drug dealer or the drug user is your friend on your street that you grew up with. with. Like
1: it's not Lori. It's not
0: this, (laughs) not Lori. It's not this like nefarious predator who's out to cause harm to stranger children. That's not how that happened. There was always this idea too of like, oh, like they, they're going to give you like the first hit
1: free <laughs> so that like, you'll get hooked and then they can have your money. I'm like, Okay, like
0: what you're $2 a week from taking out the trash and mowing the lawn.
1: Like, I mean, does that eventually happen with drug use that yes, you do end up spending all of your money on it. If you're addicted, absolutely. But like, I don't think that any of my friends who ever offered me drugs were like, I'm doing this so I can make a dollar off of this girl. I think they were like, this is fun. Let's go have fun. I'm not endorsing illegal substances as sources of fun. I'm just saying that sometimes that's how that happens.
0: No, I would agree with you. And I don't think it's a, here, I'm offering this to you because I have like evil plans. It's I'm offering this to you. And if you don't want to partake, it's cool. We're still friends. It's not like, look, I knew a lot of people, a lot of good kids, the good honors kids who use drugs in high school, Like lots of good kids. I am not going to name names, but I knew (laughs) lots of them. And I was at many a party with drugs and I never used drugs. I never did. And nobody cared. Nobody cared. Don't you think that sometimes there were
1: people who were like, oh yeah, like props to you, you know, like good for you for like sticking, sticking to
0: your guns. But what's so weird about this PSA is that the dad's like, answer me. Answer me. And he's like literally stepping all over the few words that the poor child can get out. It's like, shut up for a second, dad. So I can. Right. (laughs) And another comment, someone wrote, son, I learned it by watching you. Father, no, you didn't. I don't roll joints the shitty and loose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one, that's a classic. It is a classic. Okay. This leads us to everybody's favorite. This is your brain on drugs. There's two versions of this. We're going to talk about the original version from 1987, and we're going to talk about the Rachel Lee Cook version from 1997, a decade later. But the first version aired in 1987 as part of the Partnership for a Drug-Free America. According to Vox, the ad has become a bit of a cultural phenomenon, exemplifying what many people see as the ridiculous hyperbole behind the federal government's war on drugs and its anti-drug campaigns. Now, the actor in this, the middle aged white guy, his name is John Rosselius. He's known for Con Air, Blast from the Past, and Space Jam. <laughs> Interestingly, he told CBC Radio's As It Happens host Carol Off, it's very hard to explain how I felt personally about doing this thing. I asked them, don't run it past six months, and they ran it for 14 years. That's rough. <laughs> This commercial was on all the time. And Roselius said, quote, I was aware I had a drinking problem when I did the ad. And in fact, in 2016, he voted to legalize marijuana in California.
1: Oh, the irony in the Alanis
0: Morissette way. (laughs) In this PSA, we open on this white middle-aged man in a kitchen. He's going to mansplain some truth bombs about the effects of drugs on our bodies, Katie.
1: And our brains, specifically our noggins.
0: What kind of irked me from the very beginning is his tone is hella condescending. I was going to say it because
1: every teenager likes to take the advice of a middle-aged white man.
0: (laughs) He's totally... Totally mansplaining in the most like, I'm your dad. Listen to me. He's not even Pee Wee Herman. He's not even Pee Wee Herman. Okay. So he says, is there anyone out there who still isn't clear on what doing drugs does? Okay. Like, okay. Last time. Like, was there a first time he explained this, Katie, and we weren't paying attention? Right. So this guy walks to the stove with a cast iron pan on it and he grabs an egg. What does he say, Kate? This is your brain. And then he points to the pan and says, This is drugs. He cracks the egg into the hot cast iron pan and it sizzles. He holds the hot pan with the perfectly cooked, delicious looking egg to the camera and says, This is your brain on drugs. Any questions?
1: Yeah, I have some questions. My number one question watching this as an adult, having owned much cast iron cooking wear since this aired, is how many times
0: did the smoke alarm go off while they were filming this? My question was, God, that cast iron pan has seen some love. It was seasoned perfectly. It was.
1: Hence why I'm like, you know that that was smoking and that there was a smoke alarm going
0: off. My second thought was, hmm, an egg sounds delicious right <laughs> <now."> <laughs> You know, a lot of people in the YouTube comments thought the same thing. My question is, okay, drugs are bad. We know drugs are bad, right? Especially in yeah. the 80s. Not great for your brain cells. No one's debating that. But like, I think it's fair to say all drugs are not the same. It's a spectrum. And you know, there are good drugs that we use as medicines. Mm-hmm. And there are bad drugs that we use in excess that are illegal, that are very harmful. To say this is your brain on drugs, it's very nonspecific. It's very vague. Right. And not all the drugs that you use and not even the drugs that were once illegal that are now legalized in many states, they don't all do the same thing to your brain.
1: No, and many of them
0: started on their path to legalization
1: through medicinal use. So, like again, you could go down a whole rabbit hole of this, you know. Because I mean, think like alcohol's legal, and people do a lot of harm to themselves with alcohol. I I didn't mean to laugh about that. I meant to laugh. Like <laughs>
0: as that. I drink my beer, thanks, um, Kate. <laughs> I feel like very judged by you right now. I'm just drinking a nice tall glass of water, and I'm just the girl who's never done drugs. Cheers. Cheers to that. Someone said in the comments, yeah, I have a few questions. So you're telling me my brain on drugs is a healthy and nutritional breakfast to help my brain grow? Shit, I should do some drugs. (laughs) Someone else said, that's my brain while doing math. Not meth, math. (laughs) (laughs) To which I say, (laughs)
1: same. I was working recently on a really hard, complicated problem and it was hurting my brain. And I literally (laughs) said to somebody like, this is doing more damage to my brain than any youthful experimentation I ever did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? That overthinking, that'll get you every time, man. Oh man, (laughs) my brain hurts. But still someone wrote in the comments, wow, this video really convinced me not to do drugs. Really? I mean, that's what they said. Okay. I will say this for the commercial. It's shocking. It stuck with all of us. Like a healthy breakfast does. Right.
1: I would say that of the anti-drug PSAs, this one was probably the least annoying.
0: No, that guy in his condescending tone,
1: Roselius, come on. And then this poor guy, like the rest of his life, people are like, hey, aren't you the guy that cracked the egg into the pan?
0: Yeah, and I'm also the guy who voted to legalize marijuana in 2016 in California. This PSA was named the eighth best commercial of all time by Entertainment Weekly, and TV Guide named it one of the top 100 TV advertisements of all time. Hmm. Well, this commercial and this concept was remade for This Is Your Brain on Heroin with Rachel Lee Cook in 1997. This one, I really remember. I really like Rachel Lee Cook. She's the girl from She's All That. She was in Josie and the Pussycats, Final Fantasy VII. And at that time, that was basically at the height of her popularity. She was 18 in this commercial. So in this commercial, it just goes a bunch of steps further. Yeah, it does. We open on a kitchen again in muted tones and we see Rachel Lee Cook in a white tank top, jeans and a long pixie haircut. She looks adorable and I really wanted that hair. <laughs> she holds up an egg and says, "This is your brain." She holds up the pan and says, "And this is heroin." Now, this is 97. As we know, heroin was a huge problem in the 90s. I mean, it continues to be today, but it really like came on the scene in the 90s. Knowing what we know about the original commercial, like we think she's going to crack the egg into the pan, but she doesn't do that. She places the egg on the counter and says, this is what happens to your brain after snorting heroin. And she's calm when she says it. Then she lifts up the pan with both hands. That was dramatic. It wasn't, she could have just held it in one hand. And she smashes the egg. And then she lifts up the pan. And the bottom of the pan is just dripping gross egg and broken shells. And she says, and this is what your body goes through. Then she begins to destroy the kitchen with both hands firmly gripping that cast iron pan handle. And she starts screaming, this is what your family goes through. And your friends. And your money. And your job. And your self-respect. And your future. And then she's calm and she says, and your life. And then she tosses the pan on the stove. There's destruction all around her. And she looks straight into the camera and in the most calm voice ever says, any questions? That commercial stuck with me. As we're talking about it right now, I'm realizing that one of the
1: problems with this entire approach, and I don't know that I like necessarily had thought about it until just this moment, is that it treats drug addiction as a moral failure. Yes. And that is not fair or appropriate. In my opinion, I think that drug addiction is a problem and it's something that is very challenging for people to overcome. And so all of these commercials attack the morality of the person and that's not super
0: effective. That doesn't bring about good change. Interesting that you say that because in an article in the Guardian titled Nancy Reagan and the negative impact of the just say no anti-drug campaign by Michael McGrath. He said, quote, much like abstinence-based sex education, dare and just say no, spread fear and ignorance instead of information, placing all of the responsibility on the individual while denying them the tools they need to make key decisions. That's exactly your point.
1: Right. That they're saying like, well, you did this and you're terrible. And if, you know, and you did this to your family and you did that. And I think especially on this side of the opiate crisis, Mm -hmm. You can see that there's so much more that goes into that than somebody just having, you know, weak willpower or like not caring enough about their life and their loved ones. And it's just, it's offensive really. And so it's not surprising that it didn't work, but it also, I'm sure largely contributed to cultural stereotypes of people who do drugs. Right. So I think that like, you know, we're kind of laughing and making fun of these things, But at the same time, they laid the groundwork for a lot of damage to people's psyches
0: and, you know, to their self-esteem. In the YouTube comments, someone said, why bother with silly things like facts and logic? Let's just scare the teenagers into being drug free. I think that's really the mistake that was made in this whole movement. Now, of course, this was in the later 90s even, Mm -hmm. but I think of that time in the 80s and 90s, they thought scaring people was an effective tactic. I mean, I hate to say it because it sounds kind of dumb, but I actually feel like that tactic worked with me. I was always the kid who was, I mean, we all know I have anxiety anyway, but I was always the kid that was like, if someone's going to die doing this drug, it's so going to be me. Like I'm an alarmist by nature. And so I just kind of always thought like, you know how they say teenagers always think it can't happen to me. Not (laughs) Lori. Yeah, no, not me. Like it will absolutely 100% Murphy's Law happen to me. So I feel like that worked me, but I understand that doesn't work in general. And the other thing that I think that it ignores is the fact that a lot of
1: people, I mean, okay, you can look at drugs and say like, oh yeah, people use them recreationally and, you know, people smoke pot the same way that they, you know, drink alcohol, but in all cases, any kind of mind altering substance, whether it's legal or illegal, a lot of people turn to it as a form of self-medicating because they have other issues going on. And so scaring them, it doesn't make sense, right? Like that's not addressing, like address the root problem, address the root concerns and the root issues. Not like, I don't know, I, it just really sits poorly with me the way that those they they weren't effective. They were memorable, but they weren't effective in by any means. And that was kind of the whole point of that paper that I wrote in college was that like so much money was spent on this, and so and I mean think about like school resources and you know all of our time as kids, and but there was no research that proved that it worked because right. it didn't. And there are programs that work. There are other ways of educating kids that don't sort of create this magical, weird world where drug use happens that's so different from the world you walk in every day.
0: Well, according to the Associated Press, Keith Humphreys, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Stanford University, And he was a drug policy advisor to presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. He knows some things. He said, quote, the evidence is clear that the D.A.R.E. programs, fear-based advertising and just say no campaigns of the 1980s had no benefits at all.
1: Yeah, I feel like I probably read something from him for my paper because that was essentially the takeaway.
0: Let's move on to Corey Feldman. Yeah, this one didn't age well, eh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, this was odd. It was weird, and it you know, and I don't know because, like, what did I know then about Corey Feldman versus what I know now?
0: It was really weird because we open on Corey Feldman in a studio with like a a background behind him, like mm-hmm. there's like stars in the background. The more you know, the more you know <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't that, but. <laughs> Did he have a mullet? He had a mullet and he was dressed very adult. Like he was wearing a striped blazer and a button shirt. And here he is. He's a 15 year old kid. He was 15 in this PSA.
1: I feel like he wore stuff like that a lot though. Maybe not a button shirt, but I feel like he often wore like a blazer, Blazer. like a t-shirt, like him and
0: Corey Haynes. Like that was a thing. So there's like cheesy music playing in the background. And this is what he says. I think the thing for me that made this so bizarro is not only do we know now about the difficult road that Corey Feldman has gone down. Yeah. He's had issues with drugs in the past. He's dealt with terrible pedophilia in Hollywood. Right.
1: Again, like people using mood altering substances
0: to medicate feelings that are not great. So this is what he says. Hi, I'm Corey Feldman. Did you know that crack cocaine has become a national concern? This drug is an epidemic sweeping across the country. Crack cocaine is knocking on the doors of many communities and I'm concerned about the effect it's having on our society. Please lend a helping hand by joining me and others in the fight to get crack cocaine off our streets. When he says, I'm concerned about the effect it's having on our society, it's clear he didn't write this. It doesn't sound like it came from a 15-year-old. It's clear he's reading a teleprompter. Yeah. Well, and it's also like the version
1: that I saw, it looked like it was for like a local television station. Yes, it did. Like it wasn't like a national campaign. Right. I never saw it back in the day. And I do think about like all of those kids in that era who were, you know, like young Hollywood people, and there was this huge pressure for them to be very anti-drug. And yet, like, we know that they were all partaking or maybe not all of them, but many of them were partaking of drugs, you know, in their personal life.
0: We saw Soleil moonfry's kid 90, right? you know, with all of those Gen X child stars and yeah, You know, that was just a very common thing. And they would have these big Hollywood parties and there would be tons of drugs and there would be kids at these parties and the kids were able to get into clubs. And we know this from being fans of Drew Barrymore and her. Was it a book, Little Girl Lost? Remember that? Yeah. She was involved in the anti-drug campaign with Nancy Reagan.
1: Yeah. So there's just this weird, like double life almost for people of sort of feeling like they have to present this public face and then, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. And of course, now all these years later, we know what was going on behind the scenes, but at the time, and and I feel like that also has to feel like a weird pressure, right? That you're like, oh, like now I'm saying all this stuff and it's going to come out that I'm doing something else.
0: And it's sad to watch this PSA from Corey Feldman because he was just so young. And then to find out later the horrors that he experienced in Hollywood, it's just, it's heartbreaking. People Magazine said, That as a teen and young adult, Corey Feldman developed a cocaine habit and dabbled with psychedelics like mushrooms and acid. This eventually blossomed into a heroin habit that led to three drug arrests before Feldman entered into rehab in December 1990. Yeah. I mean, he entered rehab in 90. This was filmed in 86. Right. Which leads us to the Narcotics Task Force, New York City Housing Authority, 1986 PSA. I don't understand how this guy got this job. I looked high and low on Google. Google failed me yet again. Google. Who is this guy? I don't know his name. I wanted to know his IMDb credits. I needed more information. Was he in law enforcement? Is he an actor? Who is this guy? Because he is hella intense.
1: He's very intense, but also oddly very boring all at the same time. (laughs) I wasn't bored. Oh, really? I was just like, are you going to get to the
0: next word? (laughs) That was for dramatic effect, Kate. Nobody likes beautiful actor moments. I have his script right here. So we open on a man. Holding a vial of crack cocaine. Vials of crack cocaine were the prop back in the day. Yeah, like vials, like never in my life have I come
1: across a vial of drugs like that. Like that was always in the movies and everything. And they would dip for like regular cocaine, they would like dip their
0: pinky in. With their long pinky nails so yeah. they could snort off of it. Literally never is Isn't seen that why they stopped making those fun little, or this was what we heard when we were kids, you know, to scare us in the 80s. The McDonald's stirrers for coffee—they had a teeny tiny spoon at the end of them. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't. remember. They know. were my most treasured thing. I love those stupid things. And they had like a, you know a big M for McDonald's on on the handle, oh. and they ha- they were white. Yeah. Yeah. I heard they. I don't know if it's true. I, I'm, it's probably not true. It's just a thing I heard one time. They had that little spoon, and so I heard they had to stop making them because people used them because for snorting coke. Drugs ruin everything. In this PSA, like it's very close to his face, and he's looking very close to his face, straight into the camera. He's sort of Christopher Walken adjacent, no? Like his intensity. We have really different experiences of this PSA. (laughs) His intensity to me was palpable. You found him boring. I found like it really looked to me like an actor doing
1: a screen test badly. (laughs) like like i was like did this actually make it onto tv or were were they like oh no this is not gonna work
0: (laughs) this psa is on every weird anti-drug psa list on the web understandably so (laughs) okay so this is what he says this is crack these long pauses by the way are in it They're real. They're legit. (laughs) Like, you're like, did he forget what he was going to say? Exactly. Like, cue card. No, like, I have these long pauses quite on purpose. Right. Right. Smoking crack is like putting a gun in your mouth and pulling the trigger. That's exactly how we said it. (laughs) It's so bad. It's so bad. (laughs) It's literally two sentences and it lasts 35 seconds. Like his face is not expressive. (laughs) Not only is his face not (laughs) expressive, I think it's like he is staring you down. I don't think he blinks. Hence the intensity I'm sensing. However, did you notice this? He doesn't open his mouth to talk.
1: Like he moves his lips, but he doesn't. Like
0: he's talking with his mouth kind of shut. Yeah. I just was like, what am I missing here? Yeah. There was no intro music. There was no outro music. It seemed specific to a certain area because it said right on it, New York City Housing Authority. Yeah. Yeah. I was so disappointed in the lack of trivia and information about this PSA. About this, like, very unusual PSA. It is gold. You have to watch it.
1: Somewhere, I'm like, somebody marketed this. Like, somebody sold this campaign.
0: Like an advertising agency. Right. Like, somebody came up with this campaign. Like, they pitched it. And got money for it. I thought about, like, who was the guy who wrote the copy for this? And is he proud of himself? Right. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Dom Draper would not have written this copy. I uh, was actually thinking that myself. And <laughs> did he take dramatic license with those really long pauses? Or was that something the director wanted? Whose choice was that? I don't know. Where it did he draw bad. his inspiration from? I, I did not enjoy it. Well, I didn't enjoy it. No, I wouldn't say it was a rocking good time. It was short. No, it actually wasn't short. For two sentences, it was long. It was long for
1: that. But like when I first clicked on it, it said 30 seconds. And I was like, this is going to keep going. And it didn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And this leads us to what I thought was the weirdest of the bunch called Drug Dealers Are Dorks Starring Our Beloved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It aired in 87. And from what I read online, there's actually not a lot of information about it. Someone had said that this felt really sloppy because they used existing cartoon footage of the Ninja Turtles and they just (laughs) dubbed voices over it to like cut into this commercial for an anti-drug PSA. It wasn't even animation specifically designed for this PSA. Right. We open on a middle school hallway. Everything's in muted dark tones, as per always, because drugs are dark and bad. Right. Hazy light and Hazy like light. muted dark tones. So we see a smaller, like straight-laced good kid. And he's approached by a taller, sinister, intimidating bad kid who's dressed casually. Because, you know, the good kids dress like preppies and the right. bad kids dress like- Had like the members only jacket. Right, well. right. Like he's a bad boy. <laughs> So the bad kid says, Joey, I've got some stuff you've just got to try. And Joey, the good kid says, what is it? Bad kid holds out three loosely rolled joints (laughs) in front of everybody at school. Like I, I, yeah, he's not looking around. I just hold these on my sweaty hands all day. and (laughs) And he goes, pot, you know, marijuana. And Joey goes, oh, well, I don't know. And the bad kid kind of pushes him and says, what are you, chicken? Buck, 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 book. Then we see that the scene is playing on a TV screen in front of like a group of kids in a classroom. And the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles come on screen and say to the kids, Joey's in a jam. What should he do? An enthusiastic kid raises their hand. Get a teacher. And the Ninja Turtles are like, excellent. And another turtle's who's holding a pizza is like, get a pizza.
1: And you're like, that's the stoner turtle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will not partake in your drugs. Can I interest you in a pizza? <laughs> another kid raises her hand and they're like, get out of there. And the turtles are like, you got it. Let's see if Joey's that smart. So we cut back to the scene in the school hallway. And Joey says to his drug bully, I'm not a chicken. You're a turkey. And he slams his locker and pushes the bully out of the way and leaves. And then there's a voiceover from the Ninja Turtles. He's right. Drug dealers are dorks. Don't even talk to him. Cowabunga. Thoughts?
1: (sighs) I mean, I feel like this is like the epitome of everything that's wrong with drug PSAs. And there's Ninja Turtles in it. If anyone had that experience, please send us an email. (laughs) We won't get a single one. There were no memes back then, but this was like the meme of the PSA. It was like the big, bad kid trying to convince the small, good kid that like they should take drugs. And like, I don't think that that's how it works. It's not
0: how it works. Nobody
1: calls you chicken. Is it different with guys? I don't know. No one has ever called me chicken for saying no to any drugs or alcohol. People have maybe tried to convince me in other ways, but not by making fun of me.
0: (laughs) Well, no. And in what universe is a smaller kid going to push a bigger kid and insult him by calling him a turkey? He pushed him. Right. I'm not a chicken. You're a turkey. Yeah. You're a turkey. In the Reddit comments, they're like, any kid that did that would get their ass handed to them. Right. That's not a good skill to like not take drugs. That's not Um, a script you can use in real life. That's what kids need is they need the language. They need the script of how to say no or how to excuse themselves from uncomfortable situations without causing further conflict with, you know, uh, being able to save face, whatever the situation is.
1: It would be way more useful to be like, yeah, man, I'm not interested. That's it. Okay. I mean, it's not that drugs weren't an actual
0: real problem, but they weren't problems in quite the way they were portrayed using characters like peewee herman and ninja turtles i understand the good intention and the spirit behind wanting to use those characters it's like oh these are characters they're beloved by children they enjoy this programming they're going to listen to what these characters have to say but like thrillist said surfer slang pizza the color green the teenage mutant turtles were clearly advocates for heavy marijuana use, right. which made me laugh. I mean, I mean, the irony. But the point is, are these really the best use of the money and resources? Right. And is it really addressing the root of the problem? No. What it
1: is, is it's cashing in on people's fears, right? Because people's fears were, oh my gosh, big city drug problems are going to come into my suburban schools and ruin
0: my children. Nancy Reagan said, drug criminals are ingenious. They work every day to plot a new and better way to steal our children's lives. Everyone, you know, every parent out there was so afraid that this was going to happen to their kids. And you know what? It did happen to some kids. It did. I'm not saying that it didn't happen. It absolutely did. But drug dealers are out to make money. Right. Right drug PSAs of the 80s, they capitalized on
1: this fear, but they didn't go to the places that were being being ravaged
0: by crack cocaine and were suffering the consequences. According to Keith Humphreys, this was the drug policy advisor to the former presidents that we had talked about earlier. He believes that community-based research programs are a more effective way to influence high-risk behavior in school children. And he told NPR, there are really terrific programs that invest in kids and they don't necessarily focus that much on drugs. They focus on things like teaching kids emotional regulation skills, helping them connect with other people socially, and also connecting them with other things that are fun. It's a competition out there and drugs produce in the short-term rewards. In the long term, they're destructive. So you want to have other things for kids to do, community events, religious events, anything that will engage them and make them sort of happy, full of life without drugs.
1: Yeah, I think that scare tactics are not the way to accomplish what they were aiming to accomplish. I think it's a way to like be sensational and sell a lot of PSA commercials, but I don't think that it actually addressed the problem.
0: No, I mean they left their mark, we remember them, but But how many Gen X
1: people went ahead and did the drugs anyway? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and went on to parody it at every possible opportunity.
1: I mean. I don't mean any of this to sound like, I think that it's very important to address addiction and to address drug crises and, and root cause. Right. And like, even in the States where drugs that previously were illegal are now legal, it doesn't mean that like young people need to be, you know, running rampant with them. Like, I think that there needs to be education and regulation, just like anything, right? Like anything overused can become damaging. And so I just feel like putting energy there and also putting energy on not calling into question someone's moral character because they have an addiction and all that goes along with an addiction, I think is really important. And like one thing that I've seen a lot is like the idea of harm reduction now. And instead of like insisting that people have to like get completely clean before they're worthy of care for other issues of their life, just really focusing on Um, helping people and meeting them where they're at and helping them where they're
0: at. And I think that that goes a lot further. Certainly the same could be said for sex education. Right. I mean, don't get me started on that. It's the same idea, right? Because if you tell teenagers, if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. If you have sex, you're going to get an STD. I mean, sure. Both of those things could absolutely happen. Does it prevent kids from having sex? No, it does not. No. And then if they have sex, and they don't get an ST, they're like, see, you don't know what
1: you're talking about. Right. Um, so having a really honest conversation. If you do kids, crack cocaine
0: and you don't die, see.
1: Right. Like they said I was going to die and I didn't. So they don't know what they're talking about. Right. I mean, teenage brains have interesting ways of working. They have undeveloped frontal lobes. Like, I think that you empower people of all ages, but particularly young people by giving them really honest information and treating them like the young adults that they are and not kind of trying to sugarcoat things or to make them, you know, seem different than they are. Just be honest.
0: Because for the kid who thinks that drugs are only going to enter their lives in this sort of dramatic fashion, what do they do when it's offered to them by a friend and it is casual and it's not scary, but it's something right. that they don't want to partake in? Like, I think that was the big missing element here because the drugs are at the parties. The drugs are, you know, with the friends at. hey, let's let's go to the beach and smoke or let's hang out and go to this person's house. It's not the scary thing you're doing in a back alley. I mean, your introduction right. to drugs, generally speaking, is not the way they portray it.
1: No, it's usually a friend, an acquaintance, a friend of a friend, a parent. <laughs> um, <laughs> I learned it by watching you. So an older sibling, an older cousin, an older somebody. So I think, yeah, they really miss the mark in terms of preparing people because I think it's a lot harder to have a really, like somebody you really trust and care about and are friends with. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh that's a lot harder to say no to than some like rando person that you're like, oh, what? Oh, you want me to do drugs? No.
0: And it's also <laughs> difficult to reconcile the emotions of something like that because if, if people who use drugs are bad, mm-hmm. it's like the friend that you had talked about that we had to talk down off a ledge. It's, oh my God, my parents are addicts. Like, right. no, my parents are bad people. No, this friend that offered me marijuana is a bad person. They are a drug addict addict. They are a terrible person. They're going to die or they're trying to kill me. Right. Or they're trying, yeah, they're trying to take advantage of me. It's confusing. And so what is someone who lives in the real world to do with that when this is the only messaging you have ever been taught? Right. And so either you go with
1: that messaging and you're like, wow, my best friend is like, I mean, that messaging would tell you your best friend's a loser, your best friend's a dork, your best friend's whatever a turkey. Right. And that's not your experience of them. So either you adopt that view of them or it completely discredits anything in those messages. Right. So you're like, Well, they're wrong about who this person is, so they must be wrong about everything else that they said, right? There's like that very black and white thinking in teenage minds.
0: And I mean, there have been so many studies looking at the effectiveness of these anti-drug PSAs and programs, and they haven't been effective No,
1: the the research doesn't pan out.
0: But it makes adults feel like at least they're doing something. And I think that's part of it. We sent a strong message and it's not effective. The PSA still exists. I I still watch me some MTV. I watch Teen Mom. And there's commercials that are like about rising above the influence and about vaping and the damage that vaping does. And some of them are very dramatic. And a lot of them are really fact-based with statistics, which I always really appreciate because I feel like, you know, to say, oh a person who smokes is, you know, you know, this percentage more likely to drop out of school or makes this much less money than their peers who don't or, you know, whatever. Do you know what they found was really effective for anti-smoking campaigns? Mm-hmm. They had
1: this was a commercial from a while ago and it was a woman and I think she was like taking her makeup off in front of a mirror and then like she, like when she gets it all off and she looks really old and she says how old she actually is and she's way younger than she looks. And she kind of says like, this is like what smoking did to me. Telling people that smoking will age you prematurely (laughs) was very effective. And then also I think telling men that smoking could lead to like blood vessel damage that could lead to erectile dysfunction. Yeah, There are certain things that hit people where, you know, that's what speaks to them. Uh, It's still fear-based, but it's also truth-based. So You know, I I don't have teenagers, but I do think that teenagers appreciate being talked to on an adult level. Like, they don't want to be talked down to. They don't want to be patronized. Like they want to be spoken to. So if you speak to them about real things and real concerns in terms of drugs, then I do think that they listen. But it's also not a one-time conversation. It's a conversation that you have over time starting at a fairly young age so that it's something that they know that they can talk about and that they know that they can come to you about. I think that goes a lot further than, you know, an egg in a frying pan.
0: I wholeheartedly agree.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. We do want to remind you
0: to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode.
1: Plus, it really helps us out.
0: Yes. Share us with your friends, your frenemies, the people you went to high school with, your barista, your local congressperson. Your friends are our friends. And just a friendly reminder, you can find us online at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.